Amen. Amen. Good morning to you all. Just we want to bring Rex up here and uh, just let you know tonight, six o'clock, because we know it's school night. Rex will be here with Ben ministering. I want to encourage you to come out uh, tonight uh, uh, to to this meeting, and then uh, uh, we will receive uh, a special offering for Rex at the end of the service, and then also tonight. You know, we are tremendously honored here that they would come to. Alexandria, Minnesota, and on the level, uh, you know, there's so many accolades about Rex and accomplishments, but I love what he said yesterday. He said, uh, it's not about me. It's about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in and through his life in ministry. And so Rex is a spirit-filled believer, and, and Ben is also, we just love Ben, and man, what a blessing. It's his second, second year, so you know he really loves us because he came back. <laughs> he could have said, like, man, I am not going back there. <laughs> He's still. So, and they love Jesus, and they authentically care for people. You can, I mean, you can feel that in their soul, and they love Jesus. So please give a warm welcome, a harvest welcome to Rex Crane as he comes. Why don't we give the Lord a big old clap? Come on, give the Lord a big old clap. How many of you are just grateful for your life? Imagine this, 2023, we're still there, right? These last couple years got all blurred. But uh, 2023, and you're in church on a Sunday morning in the month of September, that's a miracle in itself, come on. Everything you've been through and you're still here. And there's something to be said about that. You're in a great environment today. I've had the privilege of being in environments like this uh, four to five nights a week for about now 24 and a half years speaking stages um, all across the world. Just came from Europe after three weeks speaking there. And I was so excited to get to this church again. Last year, we had such an incredible time. And I told my wife, I said, oh my gosh, I'm really pumped about going to Alexandria. And she goes, is it gonna be cold? I go, I don't know if it's gonna be cold, but the people are gonna be warm. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. We're gonna be good. And I love coming, uh, and I say this honestly, because you don't always meet this. Anywhere I go, you don't always meet this. You meet a lot of gifted people, but not necessarily caring people. And what I love is the strength in our pastors, Pastor Mike and Rhonda. I pay attention, oh my gosh. The faith and what you guys are being able to grow in and just going even our last series, Training for Reigning, come on. And his message upon living set apart for God to do the impossible things in your life even recently. It's amazing when you come across people that they want more for you than they want from you. That sounds cliche-ish and cool. I've been able to speak to about 40-something million people on the planet. That is very different when you come across people and leaders that really want more for people's families, and they're there when people are going through good times and when they're going through challenging times. You find out a lot about people and their character, right? And then, hello, Joey, that was amazing. Why don't we give Joey a big old clap? That was awesome. Next time Ben said he wants you to take him fishing. He'll be like the first Mexican fisherman. It'll be awesome. You just have to bring some like hot sauce and you're gonna be good. I'm so glad too um, that Destiny is with us. Destiny, stand up. You are a world changer, girl. What a gift you are. And you've made this trip so special for us. So I just wanna say thank you so much. 
And Robin and Stacy, you guys did such an incredible job leading our first business event a couple days ago. And if you were here, it was dynamic. We had people come from a lot of different places, driving hours to make sure they could be here in this environment. And people grew. People got touched. They got better. They got attracted to our church and what were good things that are happening here. And they go, oh, my gosh, this is a church, and we're doing these kind of events. Isn't it cool that we have impact in the lives and the businesses of people, not just close by, but also local, you know, extending beyond the boundaries of what's local for us. Give it up for our church real quickly. How many of you, this is going to be the first time you've ever heard me speak. Lift your hand. Okay, whoa, okay, all right. Let me give you just a little bit of background before I get going here. Um, I was a professional athlete grown up in Los Angeles. We grew up really poor. We just didn't know it. We didn't have Nikes. We had Mikeys, I like to say. And, uh, but we had really awesome parents that believed in our potential, and they spoke to our potential. I grew up in three generations of pastors, wanted nothing to do with God. And I was really good at a career in sports, signed at 18 with the Boston Red Sox, living my dream and making a lot of money and having a lot of fun. And I met a 76-year-old grandmother on an airplane. She sat next to me, and then God put her. I know he put her right next to me. Had tobacco in my lip, and I had Guns and Roses listening in my ears. And I was listening. I was on my way to spring training. And she sat there, and she said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. I was you know, always taught to be respectful and kind. And her husband, he passed out on an oxygen tank. He was against the wall. And so for five hours all the way to Fort Myers, Florida, this woman, and I'll use the term, it sounds very uh, Christian, but it's a cool term. She prophesied me blind. She goes, what do you do? And I go, uh, you know, I do kind of like an athlete thing for a career. And she goes, but you're going to like bring help to millions of people. There's a lot of people in the delivery room, and you're going to bring deliverance to the." And I said, oh, bless your heart. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> I wasn't into God. I had more four-letter words than I had anything else in my vocabulary. And I go, you got the wrong guy. Maybe you're looking for somebody in 12A. And she goes, no, I got the right guy. And for five hours, that woman spoke to me like a grandma. And I got off that plane. I'm like, what in the world just happened to me? And I got off the plane, and she would write me letters. We didn't have phones yet, Pastor, so we had beepers at that time. So she would write me letters every seven to ten days, and she would say, don't quit. People are waiting for you on your other side of your faithfulness to what God's called you to be. And this woman gave me courage to pursue a world that didn't exist, but it needed to exist. It needed to be cultivated and created. And I began to go, oh my gosh, like maybe this woman really, so I started talking to God because this woman messed with my life. Never underestimate, come on, some of the power you have. And just because you might have more years on your life, don't think younger people won't listen, they'll actually listen more. I, she captivated me. And she talked me into what God was doing in my life. And I would read her letters and they'd come. And I remember being by like Jose Canseco or some of the guys we had on our team at that time, Roger Clemens. And I would begin to weep like a baby. I have to go in the bathroom stall just so people wouldn't see me cry. And I'd go into the bathroom stall and I'd listen to Guns N' Roses knocking on heaven's door. That was my worship song. It wasn't up to our standard here. Come on. It wasn't like the Hillsong praise. Come on, somebody. It was like knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. I even sounded like Axl Rose there for a second. That's pretty good. I gave him a prophetic word not too long ago. And um, anyhow, long story short, 
I wound up saying, okay, if this is really you, confirm it. And God brought a couple people along my path very distinctly. And I walked away from a career that everything was certain, everything was known for a world that was unknown. I didn't know how it was going to go down, what was going to happen. I became a janitor for $5 an hour in a church. I lost all my friends. Nobody cared about being the friend of a janitor. They liked being a friend of a baseball player. It makes money. It's in the newspaper. But being a janitor for 5 bucks an hour, scrubbing toilets, come on, that's not... And they finally let me talk to the kids and the four-year-olds in case I cussed too much. The kids wouldn't get know what I'm saying. Come on. I had on to start out. I wanted to find a place to serve because greatness in God's kingdom, the first thing I learned was you serve people. And then I went to a friend of mine who was the Raider, Oakland Raiders chaplain at the time. Now they're the Las Vegas Raiders. I said, what do I do? I feel like God's got a special purpose on my life. He goes, he does on everybody's life. I go, what do I do? He said something. He goes, Go to the Bible and brainwash yourself on God's miracles. I'd never heard that before in my life, even around church people. I go, what do you mean? He goes, most people, they have like an idea of faith just to get to heaven, but they don't know how to live in faith on the earth because their minds are so conformed to what they see and feel and hear. He says, but if you'll get God's miracles inside you and begin to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and get his miracles in you, when other people see limitation, you see opportunity. When other people see sickness, you'll see healing. When other people see lack, you can see God working in abundance or in miracles. Joey, you were just saying just a minute ago. When other people see separation or divorce, you can see that love can bring things together. And you'll see God, opportunity for God to work. And all of a sudden, people will need you because you'll have a different perspective. And that will be not a a prison to people, but it'll be a passport for people to find a way out of things. And I remember I became like a Christian monk. Pastor, I became a Christian monk for like, maybe about a year, where I dated my Bible. I still do. I buy a Bible almost every single month because I mark them all up. Look, I even have, this is is part of my Bible that I came with today. Look at that. This is my Bible. These are my notes. This is my Bible. I guess if your Bible's falling apart, you're not, huh? Come on. You got to put that thing in your heart. Hide it in your heart. And I remember I would read all these miracles of the Bible out loud and say, God, if you could do it with them, you could do it with me. If you can hook them up, you could hook me up. Come on. And I remember, like, my parents like, aren't you going to go out? Aren't you going to meet anybody? I'd be in my room dating the miracles of the Bible for a year. And I became brainwashed, became convinced that God could do something. All of a sudden, doors began to open. I want to encourage you. Even Tony Robbins asked me this at dinner. He said, Rex, what are you using to get the results that you're getting? One of the biggest motivators probably of all time. And he said, I go, I use the Bible. And he goes, what? He goes, like, gave me the Benji the dog look. Like, are you serious? I go, yeah, I don't want to build my life on pop psychology or success motivation. That's trendy but not timeless. I want to build my life on something secure and something strong. No matter what happens in life, I have a firm foundation to make decisions, use wisdom. How many are still grateful that we use the Bible in here? That's my little plug and give you an idea of who I am. Let's rock. You ready to rock? Go to Luke chapter 5 on the right-hand side. Right-hand side of the Bible, Luke chapter 5. You're going to love today. It's going to be powerful, and then you're going to get help today. God's going to touch you today in a cool way. You ready to go? And maybe it's a good way to do it, too, is um, I'll start with this little story. There's a six-year-old named Lindsay, and she was in a class, first grade's class, Miss Lyons, and they were, Miss Lyon was going to teach her on evolution, and so they were to teach the class on evolution. So she said to the young boy, Travis, he said, Travis, do you mind going outside and reporting back into the room everything I ask you? 
He says, sure, Miss Lanza, I sure will. So he went out to the door. She says, do you see any bushes? Yeah, I see some trees and bushes. Awesome. Do you see any birds? And Travis goes, yeah, I spot a bird. That's a pigeon right there. Okay, I see, I, I see a bird. So he reports back to the class. There's 20 kids in there learning evolution. Uh, do you see the sky? Yes, Miss Lanza, I do see the sky. Do you see God? No, I don't see God. Well, come on in here, Travis. Class, the reason Travis did not see God is because he does not exist because if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Well, Lindsay, come on, she's first grader, grows up in Alexander. Come on, Harvest Church, come here. She's one of our first graders. She has a little sass to her. Come on. I'm a girl, Dad. Come on, my girl's got a little sass. Not a lot, but a little. And uh, she's like 99% angel. Come on, 1% Freddy Krueger. Come on, somebody. And she says, uh, can I ask Travis some questions? And she, the Miss Lance like, oh, shoot. Okay. So Travis goes back. Are you sure you saw the bushes? Yes. Are you sure you saw the bird? Yes. Are you sure you saw the sky? Travis goes, yes. What are you getting at? First, first grader. Well, can you come back in the room? Finally, Travis comes in. Do you see our teacher, Miss Lyons? Yes, I see my teacher, Miss Lyons. Do you see her brain? No, I don't see her brain. Well, class, and according to our teacher, our teacher doesn't have a brain because you can't see it. How many know everything? You, there's more than what you can see. That was good for your soul. You ought to smile. It came to pass, verse 1, that G the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God as he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats anchored by the lake, and the fishermen were gone out of them. They were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust out or put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse 4. When he stopped speaking, Jesus said to him, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5. But Simon goes, yo, Jesus, master, we've worked hard all night and we caught nothing. In other words, we didn't get anything that we were working for. Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. And when he had did it, when he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their nets began to break. Verse 7. And they told their partners who were in the other boats, Yo, come and help us fill the boat. So they came and they filled both boats, so they began to sink. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful guy. For he was astonished. Someone say he was astonished. Say it like you got energy. Say astonished. Why do you say that? Because I think God's about to astonish some of you and your families. Let me say it again. I think God's about to astonish somebody in here. He's going to freak you out with how nice he is. And all that were with him at the abundance of fish and they taken in. So also were James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch people. Verse 11. And when they brought their ships to the land, they forsook, uh, forsook them and followed Jesus. This is powerful today. It's interesting that Jesus is in an environment where he's teaching people, and people are pressing into him to hear God's word, okay? The word press means to use force or focus to get something or somewhere. 
Have you noticed, like I have in my experience, that you usually don't press until you get desperate to either I got to get out of something or I got to have something? Have you noticed your greatest miracles or breakthroughs in your experience of life come not when you are passive and your arms are folded, let's see what's going to do, but rather than you were aggressive using your faith towards something and you said, I got to change something, I got to fix something, I got to heal something, I got to get my mind together, I got to get my family together. Anybody ever had that happen where you got a little bit aggressive or hungry and things in, your, in the atmosphere in your life, your family, it changed? Jesus, if you look throughout the scriptures, it's a constant theme. Blessed are those that are hungry, they shall be filled. I don't know about you, if God's filling people with something, I want it. Come on, slap the person next to you, say, you need to want it too. You're going to like today, not love today. You're going to like it. You're going to go, oh my gosh, that guy's got a lot of energy. Just wait. Watch how powerful. They pressed in, if you look in your life, the greatest blessings. I was in Georgia speaking not too long ago, and at the end, they, or these people came and said, you gotta pray for this young man, he's 16 years old, he's been beaten and raped since the age of five, and he's lived in a closet, and his mom and dad have fed him dog food. True story. He escaped because someone at school said there was going to be a motivating guy that brings a lot of hope and God does miracles through him, meaning me, and you need to get here. They put him up in a motel and he ran eight miles in clad clothes with all kinds of holes in it. He ran to church on a Sunday morning and God helped the guy out. He got the greatest miracle. He got freedom from his parents. All kind of things happened, but he was determined. He ran eight miles on a Sunday morning, come on, to get to church, not even a Christian because he heard there was hope. How many know when you come in, do you come in like, let's see how good the music is today. Come on, that was awesome. Let's see how good pastors are come. Or you go, yo, it don't even matter if they're at a 10 today or at a 5. I'm so hungry for the things of God. My spirit wants what God's got. I'm coming with energy. I'm coming with anticipation. Isaiah 64 said, God acts for the one that's looking for him. I don't know about you and my relationship. It's easy to become, have a domesticated and a tame faith where it just becomes, well, you know, he's just going to do what he wants to do. Praise the Lord. And you got all the Christian slogans down. I don't want my faith to become domesticated. I don't want my faith to become so hard in my heart where I stop looking for God because I know the closer I am to him, I'm alive in my life. I'm alive in my mind. I'm alive in my heart. I dream better. I love better. I give better because he is life. Anybody ever feel that in their soul? Blessed are those that are hungry. I told the story a couple days ago, I'll just reference it. When I was in Africa, I went on a safari for the first time, and I wanted to go see the lion. The lion was going to eat the zebra because I watched it on National Geographic. I paid the money, and then I got out there, and it was not my experience. I got out there, and the lions were lazy. They sleep 18 hours a day. This is not what I paid for. I'm a dude. I'm a man. Come on. I don't need my confused about who I am. Come on. I can pull down my pants and know what I am. I'm a man. There's manly instincts in this heart. Come on, somebody. I don't need the media. I don't need Fox or CNN or some confused individual to tell me I know I'm a dude. I want to go see the lion eat the zebra. I'm paying the money. Do I got anybody in here? Come on. Any man in there, you, gotta, you just got to like this. Even if you ain't into God yet, you got to be like, I like that guy. He freaking knows who he is. 
I remember being so pumped up when I got out there, and the lions sit there, Pastor Mike, 18 of them. They wouldn't move. I started taking my Snickers bar and chucking it at them. Come on, I wanted to see something happen. I didn't come this far on that scary plane to land in the middle of the dirt, come on, to watch them sleep, chucking M&Ms at them, threw some Sprite on them, nothing. Finally, I go, what's the deal? Oh, they're lazy 18 hours a day. I go, what happens at night? They get hungry. I go, what happens when the lion gets hungry? The atmosphere of the whole jungle changes. It becomes electric, not because of the size of the animal, but the hunger that's inside of that lion. It puts all the other animals on alert, and he becomes the king of the jungle by the size of his hunger. How many know when you get more hungry than you currently are, your life changes, your relationships change, your health changes, your joy level changes? Hunger happens when you tell yourself the truth. If I'm in the same place I am six months from now, am I okay with that? I'm in the same place spiritually, if I'm in the same place relationally, if I'm in the same place as a parent, if I'm in the same place economically one year from today, am I okay with that? Or should that question say, you know what? I can be more, I will be more, I'm not okay with that. I need to push to the next level and that's really where you'll find God because he's always has a trajectory in your life that he's taking you from glory to glory, strength to strength, faith to faith. Come on somebody, anybody believe that kind of thing? Also, you can start to get hungry. You get around other hungry people. That's what I love about our church. Anybody hungry in here, by the way, for the things of God? Get around somebody hungry. It changes your appetite. There's a word called meshach in the Hebrew language. It means the rubbing off of or I come under the influence. When I'm with your pastor, I want to love my wife more. If I'm with your pastor, I'm hungry to know God more. If I'm around people that are deeper than me, they sharpen me. Come on. You get around someone that's got a passion for money, all of a sudden you start having faith for money. In fact, do you know that you make within $25,000 of the top six people you hang out with? That's according to Yale. That was a study done at Yale. That you make within $25,000 around the top six people you hang out with. So if you hang around people that make $100K, you're in 75 to 125 in that bracket. I don't know about you. I want to get around people that make me deepen me. They ripen me. If you, they sharpen you. They want me to love God more. Make me more tender and caring and kind. They stir me. They make me more sensitive. How many know hunger can be contagious? You can walk in with someone that's hungry. People all the time, I'm on an airplane all the time, and I was on Delta not too long ago, flying out of Newark, and this Delta representative comes by and goes, who are you? I go, I'm a really nice guy. She goes, there's like an aura on you. And I go, is it like my lotion on my head? She goes, no, I feel like this light energy. I'm like, oh my gosh. Are you trying to be one with the universe? No, I'm just kidding. She goes, what is that? I go, I can tell you. Go ahead and serve the people, then let me come down, come sit down next to me, and let me share a little bit of that with you. And she came down. I go, let me tell you about your future. And I began to tell her what happened in her life and when she was mishandled and some things that happened in her life and how much God loved her. And she goes, like, you're making me want to know God. You're making me want to know, can I take you to all the people in the back? And she brought out four different stewardesses and stewards in the back, and one by one, bam, 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 bam. The Asian guy, he started weeping, ah, but I'm gay. Ah, and he started falling down in the back. True story. In the back, God still loves you. Come on, somebody. He don't like your lifestyle, but he likes you. Hey. Your hunger can shift things. 
they were hungry and they were pressing into Jesus to hear the word of God. There's three voices you hear. There's God's voice, your voice, and the devil's voice. Whose voice are you paying attention to? If you're listening to your own voice, oh my gosh, I'm insecure. I want comfort more than I want courage. How many know your voice will tell you to be tame, to be quiet, don't make waves, come on, just settle for where you are. What if people think like you've, you've gained weight or you've lost weight or you don't have enough muscle? Come on, we're always, our voice always full of insecurity. The enemy's voice tells you what you're not and how God don't love you. Full of condemnation because just as pastor said, your joy is your strength. The quickest way to weaken you is to condemn you in your mind and tell you you're not worth loving, you're not worth forgiving, you're not worth healing, that God won't do it for you. He likes other people better than you because if he could condemn you, he steals your confidence. When you don't got no confidence, you got no strength. Why? Because you got no joy. You can always recognize them. Therefore, when the condemner comes to your house, say, no, 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 no. God thinks I'm a big deal. Come on. God loves me. He's into me. I resist those lies. You ain't renting space in my head. He can't have the real estate of your mind unless you give it to him. He can't read your mind. He can only read your mouth. Ooh, that was just good right there from him. Do you know the devil can't read your thoughts? He can throw thoughts at you. The only way he knows it's bothering you is by what comes out of your mouth. That's why life and death are in the power of the tongue. Only the enemy that can per perpetrate on your life is when he realizes, oh my gosh, they talk about it so much, it's an easy access because they're either afraid of it, they don't want it to happen, or they're talking about how negative things are. How was so much death allowed to happen over the last three years? Because they people heard and spoke about, hey, did did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? And the news made more people die than a virus. And I'm not minimizing a virus. I'm just saying the reality of we had more people in our state die of suicide than they died of COVID. Why is that? Because faith and fear come by the hearing of your Ooh, this is powerful. But they were pressing into Jesus. I love that pressing into Jesus. The woman, the issue of blood, she pressed into Jesus. I was in New York one night, and a lady desperate, her son was, I don't know if he was, if he had like a, a brain missing chromosome. She threw her baby in the air. True story. About 10,000 people were in Niagara Falls, New York, and she threw her baby. I caught her baby. She threw it in the air because people were getting touched by God, and she was so far back. She threw her flipping baby in the air. Thank God I caught it. Thank God I had some experience catching a baseball. Like, oh, shoot, I missed that one. No, no, no. <laughs> that wouldn't have gone over well. <laughs> Great preacher, bad catcher. <laughs> and I remember, oh my God, that woman was so desperate. I held that baby and wept like a, on that stage and believed God to do a miracle. But her hunger level access thing, she goes, there's gods in my midst. I ain't going to just be whatever. I'm going to go for it. These people pressed into Jesus to hear the word of God, and he notices that there's a boat right there, and he goes up to it, and he realizes it's Simon Peter's boat. Up to this point, Simon Peter had a casual relationship with Jesus. He wasn't a full-time follower. They met a year and a half earlier when Andrew, his brother, it's in John chapter 1, verses 41 through 43, he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus said the first thing he did when he met him a year and a half prior, he goes, hey, they called your parents named you Simon. When they would give names, it was a prophecy of their future. It was a prophetic declaration. It wasn't just like, yo, we're calling you Rex. 
or we're calling you Ben, or we're calling you Stacy. No, no, it was like, hey, when we say you're Simon, this is how you're going to live. This is how you're going to act. The word Simon means a reed, a wayward one, someone fluctuating all the time. Could you see that about Simon Peter's life? Come on. One minute he's cutting a dude's ear off, the next minute he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Come on, one day he's walking on water, then he's cussing Jesus out. And Jesus didn't even get nervous. Isn't that crazy? That'll shock your theology. God can handle your weirdness. Come on, somebody. His grace is bigger than your mess. He knows who he got in business with when he called you and chose you and wanted to do big things. He knows you're a little bit off at times. He knows you got bad breath in the morning. Come on. He knows you stink after you work out. He knows you get moody. Come on, one time a month, men included. Smile, even if you got four teeth, that was good. Come on, give yourself an internal vacation. You got 82 muscles in your face. 64 times in the Bible, God references how you hold your face. Your face is your billboard. You ought to be the most happiest people in the world. Christ in you. Heaven is your home. The presence of God, the hope of God, the promise of God. You ought to be the happiest people in the world. You ought to shock your community. Everywhere you go, even when things are down, God smiles at destruction because he knows it won't last because he's a restorer of things. You ought to be so happy in your life. The Bible says you think yourself happy. You don't feel your way happy. You think yourself happy in book of Acts. Oh, is anybody with me on this kind of thing? Watch how powerful this is. You ought to be so happy, you just ought to walk around and smile. Even if you don't feel, even if you like being in a bad mood, smile. People all the time are like, why are you so happy? Isn't it weird you want to throw everybody off? I went to Starbucks on the way here this morning. And I went in there like, you're like in a really good mood. Should I not be? Why are you shocked? In fact, shock everybody this whole fall. Just walk around with a smile on your face. I guarantee you more people will say, hey, you just look like you're having enjoying your life. More people will say, are you okay? What's wrong with you? When do we convince ourselves we need to be in a bad mood? When a cheerful mind works healing according to the scriptures and our inmost being rejoices when our lips declare right things, why don't I just smile? God told Elijah, why you look so down? Isaiah or Psalm 43. David, why you look so down? Put a smile on your face. Act like things, that's one of the most spiritual things you can do is smile with confidence. Come on, just try it for a minute. Use all 82 muscles in your face. Give yourself a workout. Let me give you some tiny scientific benefits, by the way, that we did on CNN. So just so you know, that when you smile for over three to four minutes straight, you begin to stir up your metabolism. You burn fat that you've been storing by being so flippin' serious. I'm just intelligent, brother. I'm a logical person. Yeah, how's that working for you, sauerkraut? Come on, somebody. You're an attitude repels people from you, not draws people to you. You might be the smartest dumb guy in the room. You're so smart, nobody wants to do business with you, but you're smart, but your attitude keeps people away from you rather than draws people near you. You might have the ability to be the most awesome lover, the most awesome mom or dad, but your attitude shuts the door of the kingdom against you. That was good. Oh, hey, come on. Pastor, I have a feeling this fall, everyone's going to walk around just like smiling, like, like weird, like aliens. <laughs> hey, the government has to, come on, misdirect this by talking about aliens. Let's be the alien. <laughs> You're a chosen race, an alien passing through the Bible. God called you an alien before CNN did. 
Why? Because this ain't your home. You better act like heaven's your home. You better act like you're going to walk on streets of gold. You better act like God's your father. You ain't a bastard. You're not a bastard. You are legitimate because he chose you and wanted you. He didn't need you. He wanted you. He chose you, and he didn't choose you to be a servant. Servants choose people that they dictate, this is what I want you to do. He wanted friends. Jesus said, I don't call you a servant. I call you a friend. Are you kidding me right now? That God, servants live for the God's favor. Friends live from God's favor. Ooh, that's a deep concept. Whoa, for real? Yeah, God calls me his friend. Weaknesses and all. Fears and all. Feelings and all. Challenging moments and high moments. God calls me his friend. Man, friends, I want to protect friendship. I protect my friendship with Ben. I know a lot of super rich people in the world. I know a lot of people that are calling shots in America. They called me from the president's office a couple weeks ago. I know a lot of stuff, but I treasure my friendship. I treasure my friendship. I only use this as an analogy, not to get any praise. LeBron James and Snoop Dogg and Mr. Levi, Levi Strauss, can you come over to the house and have dinner? No, I want to hang out with my friends. I don't want to go hang out with you. I'm not, I'm not looking. I'm almost 50. I ain't looking for new buddies. Come on, somebody. I want to guard my relationship. Watch how powerful this is. They pressed into Jesus to hear the word of God. And Jesus had this casual relationship with Simon. And it's interesting, by the way, that when he meets him, he says, hey, your parents called you Simon. This is the way they labeled you. But I want to give you heaven's view of you. We call you Peter the Rock. You never hear Jesus call him Simon again. The first thing God does in a relationship with you or me, he changes who you are in your own mind by giving you his Holy Spirit so the old person dies and the new person lives. Stop acting like you're dead, you're alive. If you've touched the blood of Jesus, that blood has cleansed you from your old man. You're not a sinner saved by grace. Stop saying that. You're insulting his grace by saying that. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. Which one are you? 16 times in Corinthians alone, Paul calls them, hello, saints, but he rebukes them for their bad behavior. Oh, isn't that interesting? They had the gifts of the Spirit, but he rebukes them for their character. Because gifts don't reveal maturity, character does. with me in here? Anybody feeding their faith? Come here. That means they can have a super highly gifted person, but how do we treat people? How do you handle money? How do I make decisions? Do I have integrity with people? Is my yes, yes, and my no, no? Do I show up for the people that I love? That's maturity. Anybody want maturity in their life? Come on. Character in your life, a good name in your life? I love gifts because gifts bless other people, and God gave you a gift to bring increase and solve a problem to somebody else. Some of you are mechanics. You have a gift to solve car problems. Some of you are dentists. You have the ability to solve teeth problems. Thank you, Jesus, for a good dentist. Come on, Lord, help the bad ones. Because everybody's had a bad dentist before. Come on, God's given gifts, come on, to do all kinds of things, and they solve problems. But that doesn't reveal maturity of character. And who I am will be before God. I don't know about you. When Pastor preached a couple weeks ago about being set apart unto God, it's what God says about your life that matters. And if I'm willing to make decisions in the dark, he'll reward that in the light. And if I'm set apart unto him, he'll give me positions of opportunity and responsibility and authority where he'll trust me with more. The Bible says Joseph, the word of the Lord tested him. It wasn't said the devil tested him. 
He was tempted by the devil to sleep with the Pharaoh's, uh, his, or the lady, that guy that was in charge, his wife. But he, the word of God tested him in a prison. Isn't it interesting? He did not have a credit card, did not have a house, did not have a car, did not have a really cool, cool donkey, come on, to ride on. Didn't have anything going for him, long beard, in prison. The word of God was testing his dream to see how committed he was to it. Watch how powerful. And it says the Lord was with him, and he was successful and prosperous. Yet nothing on the outside, according to man, would say he's prosperous. There's people under the sound of my voice today, you look at yourself and compare yourself with other people and say, I'm not as blessed. I'm not as prosperous. Can I tell you something? According to God's word, not man's wisdom. If the Lord is with you, you are a prosperous woman. You're a successful man because the Lord is with you. If the Lord be with you, if the Lord, the Lord was with you, David and he's running from cave to cave. He had no money, no bank account. He wasn't going to Nordstrom's. Come on, at the Minneapolis mall. But the Lord was with him. Peter, we call you the rock. We call you a powerful rock. That changed. He always said, hey, where's Peter? Where's Peter? Where's Peter? Where's Peter? Where's Peter? For a year and a half, a casual relationship. He shows up at his business. Isn't it interesting that all the different 12 guys that Jesus chose to be his disciples, his top followers, were not pastors? Not one of them was. They were all business owners. Why? Because God wanted people that were willing to bet on themselves and take some chances and risk, and you have to take risk to get any type of reward when it comes to business. He didn't want people to play it safe. Come on. He went after these business owners. You got cussing Peter, come on. Stealing Judas. Crybaby John in Spanish, they call him a chion. You got computer nerd Andrew. Come on, he was really good. He was like the jobs before our time, Steve Jobs. Figuring stuff out. You got doubting Thomas, needed a little bit of Xanax every once in a while for his panic attacks. Come on. He needed some Dr. Oz wisdom. Look at the people Jesus took on. Hello, Simon the Zealot. He wants to kill everybody and call down fire from heaven and burn people up, and Jesus is trying to save people from hell, and he's trying to call fire on them. How do we know they remind us a lot of ourselves and our relatives? Even your uncles you don't like. Come on, somebody. Everybody's got the one uncle. Come on, like, like they're a little off. They watch too much Oprah Winfrey. That woman's, that aunt is off. Jesus shows up and goes, okay, I need investment here. I need a boat. I'm being crowded. And he goes after it. He says, Will you invest your boat so I can stand on your boat? I believe there's a lot of people in here. God wants to partner with you, not just on a Sunday morning. He wants to partner with your profession. He wants to partner with your passion. He wants to partner with your skill and your ability so that your business and him now become partners. Why? Because miracles aren't what God does for you. It's usually what he does with you. God will never create a world for you where he's not needed. Just as a product is determined by its creator or an invention is determined by its inventor, God will never give you the ideas and the things that he's not needed that you stay in close connection with him. He wants to be a part of your business. And if he steps into your business, you invite him into your business. You invite him into parenting. You invite him into teaching. You invite him into your ex. You invite him into your whole world. Come on. Not just Savior, but where he becomes a little bit of Lord. Anybody with me on this kind of thing? and you invite him into your world, he takes it very personal that you succeed or else it looks bad on his resume. 
Man, I'm preaching better than you're hollering back today. If I was at T.D. Jason's church today, you'd be giving me some love. Come on, you say, that pink boy is on, baby. He's got juice today. Come on. Why are you saying that? I don't need that for anything other than to say is that you know I'm talking to your soul. If he says, hey, Rex, I want you to get me into here. I want you to let me into this aspect of your life. I can't put up the do not disturb side. If he wants in, he wants to take me beyond my own human ability into his grace where his grace is more than sufficient for whatever is there. Why would I shut the door down and put the do not disturb sign on God? Don't play hard to get with me, Rex. Let me go. I remember even a couple weeks ago, I was in a meeting back about four or five months ago, and in the middle of the meeting, I, I, I shared part of the story, a boy with cerebral palsy interrupted the whole entire meeting. 2,000 people, 1,700 people, whatever it was, massive meeting, and this boy interrupts the meeting, comes through the exit sign with a walker. He goes, hey, Mr. X. I'm like, what? Uh, and their ushers were like, sit down, brother. He'll get to you at the end and pray for you. No, 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 Mr. X, I came to get healed. I want to get healed right now. I love the way he talked. Had a little bit of lisp and a little bit of like nasal stuff. It was awesome. I love it. I love people. I love people. And I'm like, for reals? You want to do this right now? He goes, yeah. I go, why do you want to do it now? Because uh, God loves me and I don't want to wait. Come on, one little 15-year-old kid with swag, and he's dealing with more than anybody else in that room was dealing with. Come on. And that little boy, and it's on, it's on YouTube, you can see it. He took off. He's never returned to his walker. He took off running. All, but what, what I was going to say is, God said to me, I mean, get out of my way now. What do you mean? I was speaking really good. Get out of my way. Give me more opportunity to invade your world. And I remember we stayed there for two hours, and young people by the groves, the groves of young people, they were sitting there, and I don't usually talk about this kind of a thing, but because I, I don't try to go hype it spiritually, they were laid out, young people, weeping and crying out to Jesus, just weeping, young people, 13, 14, why are you saying that? Let's not let Alexandria, uh, the co government, the culture, the school dynamics, thank God for leaders that are rising up within our church and other places, but we're the parents, we're the children, we're the grandparents, we're the uncles, we're the aunts. The word of God says our children, our children shall be mighty in the land. I'm not giving my kid to Joe Biden. I ain't giving my kid to Donald Trump. I ain't giving my kid to Barack Obama. Definitely not giving my kid to Kamala Harris. I'm giving my child to the Lord. My child shall be mighty in the land. Anybody with me, give the Lord a clap and a shout like you got it. Ten more minutes, your spirit can handle it. Here we go. Watch. Okay. There's a frenzy. Everybody's pressing into Jesus. Jesus goes, yo, I need your boat. Yo, I need your boat. What's he asking of you? What's he asking of you? Because I guarantee you, if you're hearing the voice of God, he's asking, come on, trust me here, Rex. Trust me with that, Rex. Trust me with this, Rex. I want to go all the way with you. Don't play, don't play small. God will only go where you let him go. Okay, uh, okay, so he's like, okay, you can have my boat. So he's out there in the boat. Can you imagine Jesus is teaching? He's teaching, like, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the makers and maintainers of peace, they shall see God. And remember when he's teaching, they're in the shallow end. They're locked down in the shallow end at this point. It's one thing that you can just hear God and stay shallow in your life. I don't know about you, if you go study people who snorkel and scuba dive, people that snorkel, they see a certain amount of fish, certain kind of fish. But when you go down and scuba dive, you see a whole other level of fish. Do you know most people that drown are experienced swimmers and they drown in the shallow end? It's called shallow water blackout. Go look it up online. 
They get so comfortable that I'm an experienced swimmer that they don't stop paying attention to their surroundings and they get taken underneath and they stop breathing and they get so caught up in their surroundings when they're underneath that they start having a panic attack and being all anxious and as a result they drown even though they're skilled swimmers. Can I say most spiritually Christians are in shallow waters and then when the world hits or when Dr. Fauci gets on there and says, you need to put on 50 masks to hold yourself. And he's sitting there holding a freaking party at my friend's house. Come on, don't be, don't be insane to the membrane. That's a special kind of dumb. Let's not be dumb. My people get destroyed for lack of knowledge. I believe in medical science. I love medical science. It's a blessing to humanity. I'm not going to be taken by some, come on, deception that's going to destroy me. Make everybody all anxious. If it's driven by fear, it's got one source. doesn't matter the face on it, the color on it. It's driven by one source. And that person needs God just like I, but I ain't letting your spirit get into my spirit. My Bible says I got a spirit of faith, and through faith, God can change things and change my world. But through fear, it shuts the door on God's kingdom. Because only faith pleases God. Anybody still got faith? Come on, in 2023. Anybody still got it? Man, uh, this is fun today. Thank you for being nice. I'm going to be quick. Watch. What about in the shallow end? What's, what's anchored in the shallow end of your life? What about the dreamer in you? Remember when you were a kid and you used to dream big dreams? Come on, you just used to dream about who you wanted to be, what you could have, what you could do, what you could give. What happened to the dreamer in you? If the dreamer in you could talk, what would the dreamer say? It's been hard watching you settle for less, working a job beneath your talent, accepting roles other people signed for. You used to have an imagination. You used to dream and imagine. What happened to the dreamer in you? Have your can'ts replaced your wants? When you order off the menu, you're like, oh, I'll just settle for a little. What happened? Every generation, got a generation, a culture, a church is only as great as its dreams. Helen Keller said, what's worse than being born blind? Having sight with no vision and dream. If you don't have something to reach for, I'll use it like this way. If I don't reach for what's before me, I die by what's behind me. That was good. I don't always say good statements. That one was good. If I don't have something to reach for, I settle for where I am. What about the lover inside you? Love gives, lust takes. What's it like to be in a relationship with you lately? Is your love in the shallow end where I evaluate your relationships? by, Hey, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? What am I getting from you? What am I getting? How many of your lover and you will never win if you'll stay in the shallow end if you're looking at everyone to meet your needs and you're looking at everybody else to love you rather than you give love? How many know love starts with you? Most people have stopped on the idea of love. And that's why they live in so much fear, because only perfect love drives out fear. Let me ask you from a God perspective, 1 John 4, 16. God says, we've known and believed the love that God has for us, or known and received, the actual word is. What are you doing with God's love? Are you receiving it or rejecting it? Are you keeping it in the shallow end? There's a story of a, a he was a, a, a minister, but he was like a non-denominational minister pastor. In Oregon, they have the, the highest secured uh, psychological, where they put the most deranged people in Oregon in a certain place, and a hundred of the patients, hardly clad, feces all over the room. It's a true story. He was a young guy out of Bible college, but he didn't have like the gifts of the Spirit. He wasn't. He didn't think that stuff existed at that time. And he goes into this environment. All these people are moaning and groaning and tormented. And he goes in the room. He goes, "What am I going to do?" He was like 21 years old. I think he was a Methodist minister. Like, what am I going to do to help these people? 
And he said, Jesus told him, he said, the Lord talked to him out loud. He says, I want you to sit in the middle of the room and sing Jesus loves me. That's all I want you to do for the whole 30 minutes. No counsel. Jesus loves me, this I know. Come on. For the Bible tells me so little ones do him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. He did that for 30 minutes. Nothing had changed. Came back the next day. Did it again. After one month, three different patients started to join him. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus, you love me. The Bible tells me so. After four months, he had 72 patients around him. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. After six months, full participation except for one. Yes, Jesus loves me. And at the end of nine months, 84 of them were sent home sound in their right mind, not one counseling, not one drug, not one medication. Only two were left after a year. Not one other thing, but they began to focus on, yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Imagine if you got that in you, would you stay shallow in your world? It would change you, wouldn't it? Do you know that love just doesn't receive forgiveness, it gives it. And I'm gonna end right here just after the story. I won't go all the way there. I'll finish stuff tonight and I'm gonna just pray for people. There was a woman in South Africa and these white officers showed up at her home in her little shanty area. This is a couple years before apartheid. They showed up. And her son was there, he was, he was black, and he sat there, and they started making fun of the color of his skin. They shot him point blank in front of his mom and dad, blew his brains out, killed him, and they made fun of him after they did it. The mom and dad tried to go get help from the police officers, and they shut the door on him. Those same police officers showed up and got the dad, and he was gone and taken for over a year. The mother took a bus, they didn't have a car, they took a bus down to the South African like, Judicial Center, tried to get help, tried to explain the story. They turned a deaf ear to her. For over a year, she didn't know what happened to her husband. She assumed he was dead. Those same police officers, Dr. Officer Vanderbrook, I don't remember the other gentleman's name, they, uh, they came and got her a year later, and there they took it out to a pond, and there on the pond, they had tied him to a piece of log, and they began to set him on fire. And while he did, his last words were, I love you, honey. Forgive them, Jesus. They know not what they do. He passed. They were charged in a court of law after a big old trial. And in, and in South Africa at that time, what they do is they let the victim be able to speak and declare what the sentence should be. She was older and she stood up and she said, the judge said, what do you believe? And she's looking at two people who shot her son and killed him point blank and made fun of the color of her skin and did it to her husband and burned him alive while she had to watch. And she said, first off, I need a court. I need someone to take me to where my husband 
his ashes are. My husband was an incredibly loving and good man, and I want to give him a proper burial so I could honor his name. Judge, we don't have a lot to live on, but he showed up and gave me and my son a wonderful life because he was a wonderful man, and we were rich in faith. Not rich in things, but rich in faith. And I want to honor that man. She goes, of course, we'll do that for you, 100%. Mr. Vanderbrock, I want to tell you today, sir, that I forgive you. Today, as hard as it is, I'm letting you off my hook. You're not off God's hook, but you're going to go off my hook today because I realize I'm the only one left, and I realize I don't have a lot to live on. I don't have special gifts. I don't have special talents, but one thing I have is love in my heart, and I realize if I hold on to the pain of what you've done, this will kill me too because I won't live because I won't love. And so today, sir, I want to forgive you and forgive you and dismiss all the charges and things that you done against me. I want to let you go, and I want you to know today that you are forgiven. Everyone started weeping around the room, started crying around the whole entire room. And she said, Judge, I need one more thing. So he knows this isn't just words. Can somebody help me over so I can hug him? And by a court appointment, can I have the jail bring him to my house two days a week? Don't let me suffer because I can't get around good anymore, that I have no one left to love. Can somebody bring him to my home and he can become my son so I have somebody to pour out my love on so that I don't die too, but I can live, judge. They carried him over there. Officer Brando, she went to hug him and her little bent over body that was a little bit crippled. And when she did, he fell out. He passed out. All across the room would have been segregated, segregated between black and white. Black people began to get hands with white people. White people began to hold hands with black people. And they began to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. They began to sing all across the courtroom. This is before any political leader arose. One woman that chose to offer mercy, that I don't want my love to live in the shallow end, forgave the people that did her wrong. And when she did, she started a cultural change. It wasn't an idea that was in her mind to do. She just knew that the lover in her needed not to be shallow. It needed to live. It needed to get beyond the shallow end and live deep. And she knew the greatest way to do it was to offer forgiveness for the people that had done her wrong. She started a revolution in her whole entire country. An unassuming, uneducated woman. Because Jesus said there's only one thing, two things that will shut the kingdom of God against you. Where the power won't work. Unbelief, and that is a posture, I don't want this. Jesus said you can speak to mountains and your faith can move them. You can pray and receive what you have. But nothing will work if you don't have forgiveness and mercy in your heart. Paul said you've been forgiven much. Don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes to let bitterness get in there where you don't offer forgiveness anymore to hurting people. And if you're in relationships with people, the quickest way the enemy tries to get at you is those closest to you that they mishandled a, a relationship or expectation that didn't do you right. And by the way, if I wanted to end, end suffering in your relationship, I could. Your intimate relationship. Anybody want to feel better in your intimate relationship even if you had a good one? Replace your expectation with appreciation and all your suffering will stop. I just saved you about $15,000 in counseling. How do you know? Because I failed at it. I failed at it in my first marriage. We were too young to even know how to do anything, but we were like 18 years old, babies. My wife left because of other situations in her life and her what, growing up, and she had to get help. She didn't come back. But I realized I needed tools to be able to be an effective lover in a relationship, an effective husband. 
that I carried many, many years later when I got married many, many years later. I learned how to do. But my expectation was so high, but my appreciation of them was so low, I looked at what they were doing and I was grading them by how well they were performing for me, whether or how much love I showed. But when my appreciation's so high and my expectation's so low, I don't need anything from you now. I'm not manipulating you. Now I can love you. I can share myself with you. I can care about you. I can show up for you strong. What's it like to be in a relationship with you lately? Is it shallow or is it deep? You all give an experience. Come on. Is it one everybody wants to have again? And if it's not been what it can be, how many know we can raise the standard today and let love win? We can receive God's love and we can give it away, give it away, give it away now. Anybody with me on this idea? How many know there's a whole world out there that needs a lover in you to succeed? Because Jesus said, not by following the 15 commandments are they going to know you're my disciples. Not by sitting there and just prophesying are they going to know you're my disciples. Not by just praying in tongues are they going to know you're my disciples, even though praying in tongues is powerful. Not by just sitting and singing worship songs are they going to know. They're going to know you by your love. Faith works through love. You want your faith to work? Anybody want their faith to work? Real quickly, stop focusing on your faith and start focusing on how much God loves you. The more you start focusing on how much he loves you, the easier your faith will become. Faith is automatic when love is the focus. Man, that just made me feel really, really good. Faith is easy when God's love's the focus. Faith is hard when you focus on yourself and your situation. But when I focus on how much God loves me, anybody got a revelation of how much he loves you? He wants you. He's crazy about you. He's into you. He's never thought a bad thought about you. He's seen your worst, but he speaks to your best. Come on. He declared you healed before you were sick, forgiven before you accepted his mercy. Come on. Blessed before you were ever blessed in him. He declared you would be blessed. Oh, my goodness, and you're for me. My friend Kate McVeigh, I should have seen one of the story. Kate said this. My friend Kate, she was born mentally handicapped. She told me the words, and I didn't like using it, but she said it out of her mouth. She goes, I was born mentally retarded. And I go, you don't look that way. We're at a conference, and I'm talking to this beautiful woman, and she just done Joyce Meyer's show, and I'm like, you don't look that way. And she goes, Rex, it was horrible. All the kids used to make fun of me. I was on the slow bus. All the kids would make fun of me in the slow classes. Oh, here comes the kid that can't think. Here comes the kid that can't read. Oh, she's something's wrong with her. Something's wrong with her. She goes, I grew up with a complex because other people's voices told me something was wrong with me. But my grandma took me to a church service. Come on, like we have at Harvest Church. Come on. And they taught Psalm 512. She goes, I paid attention for like 30 seconds and I caught one thing. Psalm 512. It says, the favor of God surrounds me like a shield. She said, I didn't just hear it. I caught it. And she said, I began to imagine that before people came to my slowness, my inability, they had to come in contact with God's favor on my life. And so I just started from that moment at 12 years age. She goes, I like to play basketball, but they would not let me play basketball because I was in the handicap classes. So at 12 years of age, she started walking around. God's favor's on my life. I'm going to be smart. God's favor's on my life. I'm not going to stay slow. God's favor's on my life. I'm going to be able to read. Come on, there's my buddy. What's up, man? Come on, I little world shaker. God's favor's on my, I'm gonna give you some money because you guys did so good today. Watch, God's favor's on my life. Things are gonna change. God's favor's on my life. I'm gonna play basketball. 13, nothing had happened. 14, people started saying, you're weird. You're 40 years walking around saying favor. 14, she tried out for basketball, did not work. 15, did not happen. In Oklahoma, today, she is the number one women's basketball player that's ever come out of that state. A white girl, by the way. 
On top of it, she graduated the valedictorian of her high school. She came out of a place, all because she got one scripture that God's favor's on my life. And God's favor can silence my failure, silence people's voices. Who are you sitting next to this morning, y'all? Come on, slap that person next to you. Slap them. Come on. Come on, give a slap them. Come on, give them a UFC slap. The favor of God is on your life. Your love. Oh, this is good. Just lift your hands for a minute, okay? I'll finish later on the rest part. Just lift your hands for a minute. Lift your hands. Everybody try this. You try other things. You might as well try this. Come on. Smile up at God. Smile because he's smiling at you. Smile back. Smile back. This could be a real moment, you and God. Not, not you and church, you and God. This is just a house we meet in to build one another up. And that's why we keep coming together because this is where we grow together. This is where we live and love together. But let's smile at God for a minute. Say, Lord, say like you really mean. Say, Lord, I feel you in here. I respond to your love today. I receive your love today. I receive Jesus, your life, your forgiveness for my sins, my failures, my mistakes. And because I freely receive it, I freely, as an act of my will, give it to hurting people and those that have done me wrong. Ooh, I want you to think of people that have hurt you, that have done you wrong. Bosses, employees, uncles, aunts, grandparents. It's time for you to be healed. God wants to astonish you, and to do that, you're going to release mercy to people. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. I forgive them. It doesn't mean I condone what they do. I forgive them. I let them off my hook. God wants to actually bring justice into people's lives, but you're holding on to it. It's hindering him from doing it because he can't deal with them and bring justice as long as you're hooked to them. But when you unhook yourself, God can heal you and bring victory and justice into your own world. Come on and vindicate you before people. Lord, I thank you for doing that today. I thank you for unhooking our hearts from the emotional drama, the pain of harsh words, of malicious acts, of deceptive acts, of perverse acts. I thank you today where labels have crushed us, where they've capped our potential, that those things would be shattered today. Where harsh parents that meant well but didn't have strategy said things that demeaned who we really were. I thank you today for the favor of God, etch-a-sketching the power of those words off our mind. And I pray that your favor and love today would take us out of the shallow end today as we hear your word and begin to heal our hearts so we can love deeply. We can love richly. We can give love away. We can love you, love ourselves in a healthy way, and love other people, I pray today. I pray love will drive out fear and panic attacks and oppression and depression off people today where people have had perpetual sadness in their minds that that spirit of sadness would lift off people today. Not an emotion of sadness, a spirit to push people down and make them feel sad about their life and their future. I break Satan's power today in the Jesus' name because of his love. And I thank you for love bringing hope to our hearts and our minds today and healing people of their wounds and their pain. In Jesus' name.